Noah and their families, they set out for the land of Canaan. This was quite a large group, a significantly large group. They travelled and they reached Haran. They settled there for a time. Abraham knew, however, that God's call for him was to move on to the land of Canaan. And so he left them there and moved on. Went with his immediate family, uh, remaining family, and uh, in the pursuit of the unknown, he was obedient, obedient to the call of God. He left behind all ties to his original family and tribe. So I was thinking just about that. Most of us haven't been called to leave our family behind or even the district that we grew up in. But there comes a point in life when we do have to stand on our own two feet. We have to become our own individual, independent people. We have to move, in a sense, from the faith of our fathers, faith of our family, to developing our own individual faith in God. Staying in the one church all your life, now I... I, I haven't got a clue what that would be like, but um, staying in one church all your life, I can only assume must be a wonderful blessing. There are some here today who have done just that. Stayed in the one church all your life, but we can't expect the church just to remain the same. The church is a living organism made up of living human beings. And living organism that grows, develops, changes, transforms, It adopts varying types of ministry as it's led by the Lord. And often following the Lord means following into the unknown, the unfamiliar and even the uncomfortable. If you were here last week or the uh, Saturday night, Mick Alley shared with us from Mission Samburu and he told us about what happened in Kenya with the Samburu people when COVID hit. And the government had ruled, as governments all around the world ruled, that people were no longer allowed to meet together indoors apart from just their very close family. Initially, Mick was pretty unimpressed about that. He only saw difficulties and challenges, but the result was that the church doubled as they met together outside. God really blessed the church of the Samburu in that time. Abram not only left the unfamiliar and the uncomfortable, left his family, left his tribe, but left many of their practices and ways behind as well. To break with the past, Ken have its place in demonstrating our dependence upon God. To break with the past can have a real place in demonstrating our dependence upon God, just as it was with the disciples when Jesus called them to leave their nets to follow him. Leave your past, leave your familiar ways, leave your family traits behind. Close your eyes and take hold of his hand. Trust him. Really trust him. And I can only imagine that the disciples must have had those days when they were questioning, why 
why am I still following him? At least I had a comfortable pillow at home. I had a roof over my head. I had access to food. Why am I still following him all over the place, sleeping outdoors, using a rock for a pillow, not knowing whether we'll even get brekkie or lunch today? I'm sure the devil was feeding those kinds of thoughts into the disciples' mind. What kind of thoughts does the devil feed into your mind to cause you to question, why am I still following him? Why am I still following Jesus? And so Abram has left everything, he's left everyone but his own family. He also has with him his nephew Lot, has servants of his own and Lot has servants too, but they've left for the unknown. They, they travel through Canaan and the Lord declares to Abram that this will be the land of your descendants. He sees that land. Well, then a famine drives them down into Egypt But down in Egypt, Abram and Lot, they acquire many more sheep and cattle, donkeys, camels, and many more servants. They then return back into Canaan, and they are an ever-increasing tribe. Abram and Lot then separate, and Lot settles in Sodom. The next thing that we read, four kings from the north aligned together and as they moved south, they overrung five kings from down in the south. And for whatever reason, we're not given any reason, but for whatever reason they decide that they take Lot and his family and possessions and they start to head back to the north with them. As they do that, Abraham or Abram gets word of this And he successfully rescues Lot and they then return to Sodom. Abram remains in Hebron where he'd settled and it's following this rescue effort that we come to Genesis 15. So I've told you all of that for a reason. We come to Genesis 15. Abraham, sorry, Abram has put himself in quite a precarious position at this point with very little power against the might of these aligning kings, particularly in the north, and their forces. And he's rescued Lot and his, his family and so forth from them. Thus we come to verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Do not be afraid, Abram. Abram must have been second-guessing himself, surely. What have I done? Should, should I have intervened the way that I did? I've now set these four kings against me. Should I have perhaps left Lot and allowed the Lord to look after him? I can only assume that I'm now in the firing line. There will be repercussions. I'm not feeling too secure at this point. God says, do not be afraid, Abram. There are times when we've made decisions. I'm sure you've made a decision that later on you just chew it over and over and over in your head. 
And there are times when we too are on the edge of fear, as Abram was. We ponder what could be. And the devil feeds into that and he increases our fears. And I think the Lord says to every one of us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, my child. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. And though Abram cannot see God's shield hovering over him, he is to count on God's presence and dismiss his fears. He is to trust in God, trust in God alone. Do not be afraid, Abram. You and I too, we need to take God at his word and believe in him for his provision, his protection. And know that God is our great reward. In fact, the Lord says our very great reward. Not just a great reward, but very great reward. Anything else that we might desire will never be as good as knowing God. He is our greatest reward, knowing God. Anything else that we might desire is only ever secondary. The interesting thing here is that Abram misses that point entirely. Abram misses this point and he focuses on the last word, reward. We too have a a habit of doing just that. What's my reward, Lord, for following you? Will you take away my illness or ailment? Will you restore the broken relationships in my family? Will you ensure that I can enjoy my retirement? Will you take away the elements within my church that I don't like? Or will you change the style of worship to my preference? Will you allow me to have a child? Or will you give me a husband and wife, a spouse that I can live life with? Where's my reward, Lord, for following you? I've been faithfully following you. Where is my reward? What is it that drives you to keep following Jesus? And most times, we're not even aware that we're asking that question. It is, however, there's an expectation within us that if I'm doing the right thing by God, then God, you need to do the right thing by me. We want him to step in to fix it. It's not until we test our motives that we discover what's really driving us. That's why we do what we do for God, because we want him to do something. We want him to reward us. What's my reward for following you, Lord? Verse 2. This is what comes out for Abram. Abram says, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. 
Where's my reward for following you, God? And you would think that God could have said, Abram, stop it. You have me. What more could you need? You've missed the point, Abram. I am your very great reward. But God, as gracious as he is, he has a much bigger plan in mind than just Abram. He has a long-term future plan that Abram won't even see, a plan that will take centuries to bring to fulfilment. And sure, God is concerned for Abram, and he loves Abram, but he's also part of a jigsaw puzzle that is a much bigger picture. Abram's not the centre of the universe, and neither are you or I. But rather than a rebuke, Such is the grace and the nature of God that he redoubles his promise that he'd already made to him. Verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Abram. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. A son from your own flesh and blood will be your heir. This was God's promise to Abram. Trust me, Abram. And this is one of those rare occasions when the the human desire lines up with God's will. Our human desires don't always line up with God's will. And of course, God is true to his word. He will bring about what he has promised. And although he might appear to be slow and although there there may be delays in our mind and we, we get tired of waiting, that doesn't mean that God's changed his mind and that will he, he will deny what he had promised. He is true to his word. And in fact, in this case for Abram, God reassures him, redoubles the promise. He says, I'm not only going to give you an heir, but I'll do so much more than you can even think or imagine. Trust me, Abram, I'll give you more descendants than you can count. And of course, it's up to God what he chooses to do. God is sovereign. Although he has declared that He is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. It is always so that he will be glorified, so that he might be received glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. The fact that God can do the impossible and do more than you can think or imagine He is still sovereign and he's working toward fulfilling his plan to see him glorified. It's not about us. And so we come to the key verse, verse 6. Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. This is the first time that we see these two words in the Bible, believed and righteousness. 
and the two go hand in hand. Abram believed God and he was declared righteous. Very similar words found in Romans 5.1 which says, Therefore, since you have been declared righteous by faith or belief, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are declared righteous the very moment that we put our faith in God. The moment that we believe, we are declared righteous. Believing God, trusting in his promises, means that we are in right standing with him. It is trusting in God that puts us in right standing with him. Abram believed the Lord, and as a result, he's in right standing with God, even though it made no, no sense to him from the human perspective whatsoever. Sarah had been and remained unable to, to fall pregnant. She's now in her 90s. It's an obedient acceptance of God's plan that leaves Abram in right standing with, with God. As we trust in God, we too are declared righteous. We are in right standing with God. But that doesn't mean that life will now be a cakewalk. That we won't face trials and times of testing. That we we won't have our doubts and our times when we step out of God's perfect plan for us. Just as Abram and Sarah did. As you continue to read the chapter, you'll see that God goes on to describe some of the the struggles that Abram will face, some of the struggles that his descendants will face. In fact, God talks about for 400 years that your descendants will be in captivity. He talks about what they will endure. I wonder, does does Abram ask, gee, I'm not sure that I want that for my descendants. And we soon read how Abram and Sarah take things into their own hands and as time progresses, Sarah encourages Abram to come together with her own personal servant, Hagar. And Ishmael is the result of Abram failing to ask God, is this part of your plan? Is this the way you want it to unfold, Lord? He simply did what he seemed to be logical from a human perspective at the time. And so he failed to seek the Lord in this instance, taking things into their own hands had dire consequences. But here in verse 6, Abram believes in God and his promises and he is declared righteous. He is in right standing with God. He is immediately acceptable to God because he believes in God, he trusts God. Are you in right standing with God? You may believe in God, but are you trusting in God? Even the devil believes in God. Are you accepted by God because you believe him and are trusting in him? Or do you need to recommit yourself to fully following, fully trusting in him. And so 
as your circumstances change, as relationships change, as your church changes, as fears arise, as doubts and questions rack your mind, as you realise your expectations upon God or your pursuit for rewards, are you trusting in God? Are you really trusting in God? God longs for every one of us to declare that he is our shield, he is our greatest reward. There is no greater reward than knowing God. No greater reward than trusting him. He fills us with his joy, his peace, with hope, assurance, comfort. Knowing God is our very great reward. And so I wonder for for some of you perhaps, can can you let go of that which is concerning you the most? And trust God with it. Can you really learn to rest in him? Can you walk away from that which is consuming you and find God to be your very great reward? Can you put all of the ingredients of your life into the circle of the lordship of Jesus and trust him with it? Leave it all in his hands. And as Abram, Abram will be challenged when he is asked to sacrifice Isaac. Are you able to lay down that which you think is the most important thing to you at the moment? What is it that is really the most important to you? And I'll ask the musicians to come back up on the platform. And we're going to close with a song, You're All I 